morning, Parkview Church. Great to be with you this morning. And if you are a kid, you may be dismissed right now to go learn about Christ in your Sunday school. And the rest of us, if you have a copy of God's Word, please open it to Malachi 3. Um, actually, we'll start in chapter 2, verse 17, which is just before chapter 3. But most of our time will be in Malachi 3. And uh, wonderful to open God's Word, especially the prophets. We're in the Advent season. Oftentimes, churches go through <clears throat> segments of Old Testament prophecy, where God um, speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet brings forth God's Word to the people. And oftentimes, the Old Testament prophets have lots of future language. Things will happen in the future. God is going to bring blessing and restoration and healing and forgiveness to his people in the future. So they have to trust him long term. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for Malachi 3. And a bit about myself. I grew up in Phoenix, and I want to share you a little story to show you how terribly immature I was as a seventh grader, okay? It was Christmas Day. It was, this is how I remember it, okay? I was talking to my parents recently. Maybe this never happened, okay? I'm just, my memory, I don't know how this works, right? Memory stuff, but I have a memory of something. My parents are like, what? I'm like, that's how I remember it. So here we go. Uh, it's Christmas Day. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. It's 60 degrees. That for sure is true, okay? Because it gets warm in Phoenix on Christmas Day, which is really lovely. And uh, <clears throat> I had one gift, one gift this Christmas year, seventh grade year, that I wanted. One gift. I expected one gift. One gift. It was an Xbox, okay? That was about the time the Xbox was coming out. I was like, Xbox, mom and dad, no matter what, make sure Xbox, that's what I'm expecting, please, Xbox. And uh, so there I was, Christmas morning, the way it works in my family, maybe this is how you do it, it's stockings first, then gifts, okay? Stockings first, there I am, I'm reaching down. New snow globe, okay? I was a big snow globe collector, don't ask me why, I was. Lots of snow globes, this one was a new one. Cool, great, thanks, put it aside. Next thing was some piece of candy. Thanks, Mom, great. Next thing was like one of those like bubbly uh, maze things where they have a little like plastic ball and you kind of like try to move it through the maze. Remember those things? I had one of those in the stocking. That's cool, great. But onto the presents, let's get this thing going. Okay, I gotta get the Xbox. Okay, I'm, I'm expecting it. New pair of shoes, great. New hat, awesome. Then that random object from my aunt that I'll never use, so thanks, aunt, no thanks. And then finally, okay, this is it. Unwrap it, no Xbox, no Xbox. There was no Xbox that Christmas. I was devastated, I was disappointed. And you know what happened? I started going into a cycle. Here's what happened, disappointment. After disappointment, it was complaining, eh, whining, seventh grade whining, ugh, and negativity towards my parents. And basically the rest of the day, it was just kind of this like numb, just disengaged, just don't care about anything the rest of the day because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I expected was going to happen, okay? Basically, in a word, I became a cynic. I was cynical, cynical. Everything was negative because I didn't get what I wanted, what I thought I needed, and that's what happens in our hearts, okay? All of us, at different points, probably all the time in different ways, are always being tempted towards cynicism, especially this kind of cynical cycle, okay, which usually happens this way, okay? You expect in your life for God to operate in some way, for God to do something for you, to show up in some way. He doesn't do it how you wanted him to. There's some problem, some pain point in your life, some difficulty, and he doesn't deal with it the way that you wanted him to in your timeline, on your timetable, okay? So there's natural disappointment, understandable disappointment, okay? But if you're not careful, the disappointment then 
starts moving into kind of this critical spirit. Uh, uh, nothing is right. You're not able to actually celebrate and give thanks to the Lord for the good things he's doing because it's always focusing on the negative. Always something wrong. Always something to critique. Always something to complain about, okay? Negativity. Then the cycle ends in this kind of numb apathy, okay? Where you kind of disengage and you disengage your heart from trusting the Lord can show up and do something, okay? <clears throat> Author Paul Miller, have you read his book on prayer? Wonderful book on prayer called A Praying Life. He says this. He says, cynicism is the spirit of our age. Cynicism creates a numbness towards life. Cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. And this combination shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life, but just go through the motions. We go through the motions, numb towards life. So the question is this. Is that you this Christmas season? Is there some pocket, some section of your life that's just, it's just not working? It's not working. And you wish it would work better. And you're expecting God to come through. And he's not coming through the way that you expected him to. And so you're starting to move towards cynicism, that numbness, that critical spirit, that discouragement, okay? Is that you this morning, okay? Again, I'm assuming for all of us in different ways, it probably is. We're always probably being tempted towards cynicism because I think it seems that this is one of Satan's greatest strategies to make the church ineffective. Because as long as he can kind of, in our hearts, disengage us from believing he can come through in prayer, uh, trusting that he's going to show up in our way in some powerful way, even if the problem continues to go on year after year, and we still pray about it, I'm still trusting God, he's going to come through, I trust him, he's good, he's a faithful father, what happens is we stop praying about it, we stop caring about it, we try to kind of disconnect our hearts from it so that we don't get hurt. Cynicism. Well, here's the good news, okay? Malachi, the book of Malachi, was written to a bunch of cynics. A bunch of cynics, okay? Here's what I mean. It was written to a, a point in God's people's lives. <clears throat> if you look at verse 17, um, where it says, they're, they're wearying the Lord with your words. They say, how are we wearying the Lord? Okay? They're like a Spotify playlist with only one song that's on loop and repeat, okay? Over and 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 over again of complaining, of complaining. They're wearying the Lord. And they're saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. So they're flipping God's word. They're saying, <clears throat> uh, God enjoys it when people do what's wrong, when people disobey him. God loves that, which is completely contrary to God's word. But they're saying that. They're complaining to the Lord. They look at their lives. They look at their circumstances of the things that aren't going well, of what they expected God to do. He seems to not show up. They're saying, oh, then that must mean that God just likes people when, he, when they do wrong things. Isn't that interesting? And then the final cynical question of verse 17, the very end says, so where is the God of justice? Okay? Now, this is not an honest question, right? We all go through seasons of life, uh, what the Bible calls lament. There's some pain point, but we engage our hearts through it to the Lord. That's what lament is. You enter into the pain, you bring it to the Lord, and you go through a process of grieving, bring it to the Lord, seeking his face. Lord, help me. I trust you in this. Okay? That's lament. Okay? The opposite is cynicism. And these people are saying, where's the God of justice? Obviously, he's on vacation. He's packed up, headed out of town. Because I look at the bombed out rubble of my life, of my challenges, of my pain, of my ongoing relational difficulty and disconnection, and my disappointments, where's the God of justice? It's a joke. God is not doing what he said he would do. Cynicism, complaining, the heart is shutting down.
And so the rest of Malachi, chapter 3, the portion we're going to read, verses 1 to 5, is God's response to cynical hearts. God's response to cynical hearts. Because at this point, God's people, they look at the pain and tragedy in their lives, look at God's community, and they're saying, what, where's God? And look at the world around them. They see all the evil and justice, and they say, God, where's the God of justice? He is not, he's not coming through. And so let's read the Lord's response, starting in verse 1. Read it again. And uh, Steve Mobley, love you, brother. Thank you so much for reading God's word to us this morning. We just treasure you, brother. All right, verse 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and, summary, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's words given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, it's all too easy for us to choose a path of cynicism, to kind of go into that cynicism cycle. And I just pray against that by your Holy Spirit's power. I pray that you would speak to us from Malachi. Holy Spirit, speak to us about Jesus. Show how Jesus enters into that, that cynicism and breaks us free from it. Help us see how the coming of Jesus can cure us from this, Lord. And set our hearts free, Lord. Cleanse us. Cleanse us this morning, Lord. And show us just how good you are as the God of justice who will put things right. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the whole point of this morning's sermon. Uh, the big aim, okay? Here it is. The Lord of justice, the Lord of justice comes to cleanse his people from sin and to condemn the guilty. The Lord of justice comes to cleanse his people from sin and condemn the guilty, okay? We're going to see that in verse 1, the Lord comes. Verses 2 to 4, the Lord cleanses his people from sin. Verse 5, the Lord condemns the guilty, okay? I've, as I've already said, right, God's people, they're in this place of cynicism, the cynicism cycle, okay? What had happened is we're at this point in Malachi, okay? The God's people had already gone through exile. They've returned back from exile. This is written to the God's people after exile. They had rebuilt the temple. And temple, right, was the place where God's people could worship the Lord. The unholy people could come into God's presence through the sacrifices and through the priests and what's going on in the temple, okay? So the temple's rebuilt because it had been destroyed before uh, the God's people were deported into exile. And, uh, and the thought is this. The temple's rebuilt. Hooray. Now, major success for us. We're going to become a super popular nation. Lots of power. Lots of resources. And God's going to kind of spiritually renew us. And it's going to be fantastic, okay? Well, none of that has happened. They're a small, tiny nation, and they're struggling spiritually, and none of what they had expected, right, the Xbox, we might say, never came. And so they're wondering what in the world is going on, and so they stop believing in the God of justice. That's what we saw in verse 17. They're asking, where is the God of justice? He's not, this is a joke. God says he's a God of justice. We don't believe that, and that's where cynicism takes us is a form of unbelief and this critiquing and this complaining. And in the midst of that cycle, God kind of halts things. He stops 
and he speaks, and he speaks a word of promise, starting in verse 1 of he, as the God of justice, will come. Look, it says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek, the Lord of justice you're looking for, cynical people, he will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So, suddenly coming, he is coming, who's coming? The Lord is coming. So there's two people. There's the messenger. There's the messenger who in some time in the future is going to prepare the way for the Lord. And the second person who, who comes is, is the Lord. So the messenger prepares the way of the Lord, and the Lord comes. Now it says the messenger of the covenant. It sounds like there's almost three different people. The messenger of the covenant is just another way of describing who the Lord is. Since the covenant is God saying, I promise to be your God, and God's people saying, we promise to be your faithful people. He is the messenger of the covenant, the speaker of the covenant. So the Lord, the point is, the Lord is coming, and someone, this messenger, will prepare the way for the Lord. Yet, did you notice the word suddenly? The way that you could also, other translations would say that it's, the word is unexpectedly, okay? So now, here's the deal. I've never seen this movie, nor do I endorse it. Keep that in mind. Don't endorse this. Never seen it, okay? But I've I. I've heard, three years ago I realized, you know this, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I didn't know that, okay? I was at a Christmas party once, and there was four movies. It's like, which one does not fit? It was like Santa's Sleigh Bells. Then it was, the second one was like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Then it was like Frosty the Snowman. The fourth was Die Hard. I was like, easy, Die Hard. And then someone's like, I love Die Hard. It's my favorite Christmas movie. I was like, mind blown, what? Now here's the deal, okay? I wasn't expecting that, okay? When I think of Christmas, I think of sweet little Santa and his elves. I don't think of explosions, terrorists, and hostages as diehardists, okay? But that's what it is. And in Malachi 3, there's this promise, but it's unexpected. The Lord comes suddenly, but he comes suddenly to his temple. Because the people in the Old Testament, especially as time goes on, uh, in between uh, the Old Testament and New Testament, God's people expect him to come, but when the Lord comes, he's going to crush the bad guys, there's going to be explosions and mighty warriors and all that stuff, and it's going to be for the world outside. But something unique and unexpected happens that says the Lord comes to his temple, which in a sense, a quick application point, right? Uh, I remember Francis Schaeffer. He was a great apologist in the 20th century, Christian writer. He says, oftentimes, most people believe that the main problem for the Christian church is always outside the church, secular unbelief. Uh, just people living kind of for their own pleasure, and the list could go on and on and on. Actually, the main danger, what Fr Francis Schaeffer argues, and well, actually this is the argument of Scripture, is that the main danger is always inside the people of God. It's always their unholiness. It's always their, their uncleanness before the Lord. And so the Lord says, I'm going to clean up my house first before I go to the world, so to speak. And we see this, right, in verses 2 to 4. What does it say? It says, the God of justice is coming to cleanse his people. Verse 2, but who can endure... The day of his coming, as the Lord comes to the temple, who can endure that? Who could stand with the Lord coming in all of his, his fullness? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He's like a white-hot intensity of a fire that cleans up impure metals so that they can be pure and useful to the owner. And not only that, he's, he's like a, a fuller who is using soap to scrub and scrub and scrub an intense, painful process to rid a garment of a stain so that it can be useful and beautiful to the owner. That is God's work, right? Verse 3, the Lord of justice will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will 
Purify the sons of Levi. Sons of Levi, by the way, priests. Priests were from the tribe of Levi. And there's the word again, refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So the point that continues to be made here in Malachi 3 is the Lord's coming to his temple to cleanse, to cleanse. The Lord will come to his temple to cleanse. And the whole purpose, verse 4, is this. Then, then at that point, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, basically meaning God's people, their offering, their worship, will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and the former years. So the purpose then, okay, this is the whole point to summarize. Verses 2 to 4, what Malachi is saying is the Lord's coming in a future day. And as he comes to his temple, he cleanses the priests and kind of fixes what's broken in the worship system so that God's people might have right relationship with him, right worship of him, right? Because the priests, remember, the priests are the go-betweens, okay? between holy God and unholy people. And the means by which they make that connection is through sacrifice, right? But in Malachi's day, the priests are fooling around. Uh, They should be offering to God all-star, VIP, best of the best sacrifices. Instead, the priests of Malachi's day are offering up JV, B-team sacrifices, maybe even like C-team if it even exists, just terrible, corrupted sacrifices. So they're messing with the entire system. And the Lord says, enough with this craziness. Because what is more evil, the Lord of justice says, what is more evil than spiritual leaders mishandling the word of God and also corrupting the, the process by which God's people, desperate, needy sinners, can experience forgiveness through the temple system in right relationship with God. And if the priests are breaking that system, then you better believe the Lord of justice is saying, I'm coming, I'm coming to the temple because I'm going to fix what has been corrupted and broken so that my people can enter into true worship, right relationship with me, a future, a future promise. And notice, right, is that this purification process is through pain, through fire, through scrubbing and scrubbing and hardship and difficulty. The Lord, Parkview Church, right, The point is this, the Lord desires godly character more than our comfort. And he will cleanse and purify and use whatever means necessary to make sure that he humbles us and makes us open to his work in our lives. But the lingering question is still there. So, okay, the Lord of justice, maybe we're convinced he's going to come to his people. The messenger prepares the way. The Lord will come to his temple, clean it up so that God's people can enter in relationship with him. But what about the world outside? What about the mess? What about the injustice, the evil, the wickedness that's all around us that we experience and see on a daily basis? Well, our hope is in verse 5. Look, the God of justice has two comings. The first coming to cleanse his people. Second coming to condemn the guilty. Look, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers that basically meaning any religious abuse, sorcery was a way of manipulating God to make him do what you wanted. Against the adulterers, there's any type of form of sexual sin. Against those who swear falsely, a, a term for any type of sins of speech. Against the, those who oppress the hired workers and oppress the widows and fatherless. Against those who thrust aside sojourners. All of these sins basically of a lack of mercy to the least of these, God caring for them. And, and finally, he says the catch-all term, the summary term, those who do not fear me. So God, 
the promise is the Lord comes just to cleanse his people from sin, but also to condemn the guilty. In the future day, what the Lord's saying is that I will come, and those who do not fear me, those who resist the, the call and offer of mercy that I've given to them, those who keep rejecting the Lord, who do not fear him and humble themselves and bow down to him, there will be judgment. Now, at first glance, this is very difficult probably for us to hear in our 21st century Western ears. We think a passage like this, it seems judgmental. It seems harsh. It doesn't seem to fit with God's character of love. And yet, if you understand the context, what could be more loving than a God promising to his people that those who have abused you, those who have oppressed you, those who have forsaken obedience to me and have rejected my mercy, I will put right in my justice, in my timing, I will come, says the Lord of justice, I will come and put right all that has gone wrong in your life and all the ways that humans have abused and accused and mistreated you, I will put it right. And that is such good news. Because for so many of us here, we know the pain of adultery and sexual sin against us. We probably know the pain of being falsely accused for something that we never did and the harm against our character. Some of us know the pain of being oppressed in some former, or former fashion or the pain of not being included and cast aside as a soldier. And the list could go on, right? Those of us here who have experienced sins against us a passage like Malachi 3, verse 5, with the Lord promising that he is the God of justice, that he doesn't just close his eyes against evil and hope at some point maybe things will figure themselves out, but that he will come and get involved in the world he's made, in the world he currently is governing and ruling over with love and justice. He will enter this world. He will come himself and fix what's going on. On. That is a promise of true hope that we can trust in, okay? Now, if you're a parent, you understand how this works. Say you have three kids, okay? And two of the siblings get in a fight, and one sibling hards the other sibling. There's crying, and they're screaming, and blah, and it's chaotic, right? What you don't do probably as a good parent is you don't say, hey, third sibling Steve, go figure that out. Don't want to mess with it. No, what do you do? You go down into the basement where the problem is. You get involved. You hear the story. You put things right because you love it. You love your kids, and you're going to do something about it. That is the God of justice. So what have we learned so far? We say Malachi is a promise, a future promise, okay, that yes, in the midst of God's people and all their cynicism and their unbelief, that I look at the pain of my life, I look at all the craziness happening in God's community, I look at all the insanity and wickedness of the world around me, and where's the God of justice? Where's the God of justice? Where is he? He's not showing up. In the midst of that cynicism, the Lord says, I promise there is someone who's coming, a messenger who'll prepare my way, and when I come, I'm coming to cleanse, and then I'm coming to condemn the guilty. And lo and behold, 400 years after Malachi makes this promise, there's a man named John the Baptist. <clears throat> and John the Baptist says that, says that he's the man who prepares the way of the Lord. If you look at, read Mark chapter 1, verse 2, it says he has come to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. The Lord of justice is coming. The Lord of justice is coming. And Jesus, the man from Nazareth, comes and enters into the 
the story of history. And he is the Lord of, of justice. But we have to understand something very unique and unexpected about Jesus. There's a double coming with the coming of Jesus, right? There's a first coming and a second coming. In the first coming of Jesus, what does he do? He cleanses people from sin. But more specifically, if you look at the Gospel of John at the very beginning and the other Gospel at the very end, Jesus twice does what in his ministry? He goes into the temple. And most of you hear Bibles that give little uh, kind of uh, themes kind of to the top of each scripture passage. Most of your Bibles will say, Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus enters the temple. The Lord of justice comes into his temple. And there's probably different ways we could kind of say what's going on there in that moment. But at its heart, what Jesus is saying is no more. No more of fooling around and causing a bunch of chaos at the very place where desperate, needy sinners can come into right relationship with the holy God of love. No more breaking that system and giving up these half-hearted sacrifices. No more of that. I am the Lord of justice who has come to cleanse this whole thing. And in doing so, he himself says that he is the true temple, where it's no longer a place where people have to go and offer up sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to cleanse their sin. Instead, they go not to a place, but to a person, Jesus Christ, who did not offer up a lamb or a goat in our place, but offered up his own body, his own bleeding body on the cross, so that we who need cleansing the depth of cleansing in our heart. We go to Jesus Christ, who on the cross experiences the fire, experiences the fire of God's wrath, of God's judgment, condemnation for sin in our place, Jesus taking our sin and its punishment that it deserved and bearing it in death and rising to newness of life. The point is this, that Jesus cleanses us by himself experiencing the fire of judgment. Why? So that, Parkview, as we experience the fire of pain, the fire of that difficulty in your life, that area where you feel most cynical, that it's pain after pain after pain and it won't go away, that what happens is if you can look to Jesus and say, he took the hottest part of the flame of God's judgment for me so that the pain that comes into your life the difficulty that still lingers year after year is not a sign, get this, it's not a sign of the Lord's condemnation of you, but a sign of the Lord's cleansing of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so if the pain and the fire comes, the refining fire is meant to cleanse and purify and renew your character, not condemn you and to destroy you. Haddon, my young little boy, whom I love so much right now, he hates baths. He hates them. He hates baths. In fact, this is what I hear most time at 5.59 p.m. when we're about to toss him in the bath. I don't like bath. I don't like bath. I don't like bath. No bath. I don't like bath. But what I need to do as his father is I put him through what he doesn't like so that I can give him what he needs. And that is the promise of the gospel of Christ. If you are in Christ, the pain that's in your life, the suffering that's in your life, as one author puts it, God allows what he hates in your life to accomplish what he loves. And so some of you right now feel like you are on fire. 
and you say, I don't like this. I don't like the fire. I don't like this, Father. I don't like this. But what you have to understand is that behind the flames of difficulty and disappointment and discouragement in your life is the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who poured out his wrath in love for you, poured out his wrath of judgment on his son so that the pain that's in your life is not meant to ultimately harm you and condemn you, but to cleanse you, to purify you because his greatest desire and strategy in your life is to look more like his son, Jesus. First Peter 1 says it like this. You've been grieved by various trials. You've been in the fire so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, though it is purified by fire, that it may be found in result to praise God. God allows what he hates, Parkview, the fire, the pain, the intense heat, the difficulty to accomplish what he loves, a true and living faith so that you can be a man or woman who is walking humbly and openly and heart wide open instead of closed up in cynicism and coldness and numbness in that area of your life that right now Satan is tempting you. Say, God's not working. He's not doing anything. But yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is purifying. He is molding. He is changing. He is transforming you into the likeness of Jesus. And dear Christian brother or sister, there is nothing more wonderful than being more like Jesus Christ. So hang on by faith, trusting in the character of your Lord of justice. But the second thing, when Jesus comes, yes, he cleanses his people from sin, but he also comes to condemn, to judge the guilty. Let's be clear, right? The list of sins in verse 5, what they are not saying is this. They are not saying, listen Claire, carefully, they're not saying that if you have sinned in this way, one strike, you're out. Or you've sinned seven, seven strikes, you're out. That's not what's going on here. Rather, if you sin and you keep sinning, but keep refusing to fear the Lord, okay? Fear of the Lord is this Bible language of wholehearted trust and commitment to him that no matter, even if there's ongoing battle against sin, that you trust, you say, Father, forgive me. Father, I'm struggling. That's different than a refusal to receive the mercy of Jesus Christ and to staunchly place yourself in the, in the path of sin and stay there like it ain't no big deal. And so what the Bible is telling us is there's coming a day that for those who oppress others and those who sin against the Lord and who refuse to receive the mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's coming a day where he will swiftly and finally and fully condemn real sinners in a real place called hell under his wrath. That is the clear teaching from this passage of Malachi 5. It's the clear teaching of Jesus himself where he says that there's a fire coming. Right now, in the first coming of Jesus Christ, do you realize it is open season, we might say, for mercy and welcome and forgiveness and cheerful happiness in Jesus Christ. But there is coming a day that if you refuse in this life to receive that gospel call of Jesus Christ, there's a coming judgment for those who keep giving the middle finger to Jesus and his love. And this is good news because some of us have endured such tragedy, some of us have endured such pain at the hands of other people, and we cry out, oh God, where is justice? 
Oh God, where is justice? And Jesus enters into human history, into this world of insanity and wickedness and evil, and he says, I am the God of justice who has come once. And the logic of Advent is this. We look backward to the first coming of Christ, but we must look forward to the second coming of Christ. And the logic is this, dear Christian brother or sister who right now is languishing, wondering, where is my justice? If Jesus has come in his first coming in fulfillment of prophecies thousands and thousands of years ago, and he has faithfully come to come and cleanse and put right what is wrong, certainly we can trust him that he will one day, as it says in the wonderful Apostles' Creed, come back to judge the living and the dead, to put right all that has gone wrong. You see, in the end, cynicism is a matter of unbelief. Our cynical hearts are refusing to believe that God is so good, that Jesus is so kind, that Jesus cares for us so much, that he actually is going to take that thing in your life that you hate most, the thing that maybe someone has done to you and it haunts you day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, that Jesus knows about that wrong and he is the Lord of justice who is coming and he is coming and he is coming and he will come one day to bring a new heavens and new earth. The question is, do you trust him? Again, I'm telling you this story at the very beginning about me on Christmas Day. You remember there I was in my cynical just bleh, not believing that my parents really cared about me and I didn't get my Xbox and all that stuff. And again, the way I remember it in my, in my memories is what happened. Later that day, there I was moping about and all my cynical just ugly bleh. And I was sitting there and there comes a package from mom and dad on my lap unwrap it. There's the Xbox. Now, I know this doesn't happen every time, okay, but you see what happened is this. My cynicism, my heart, I refuse to believe that my parents are actually good. I refuse to believe two things. One is that my parents don't operate on my timetable, okay? They don't operate on my timetable. Second thing is I forgot that they always did that every year. They always did this little thing where they would like not withhold the present and all of a sudden out of like in the afternoon they would say, voila, there's the thing you wanted. And for some reason I keep forgetting that. I kept forgetting that. You see, Here's the deal. We all desire justice. We all feel that the Lord doesn't care. We look at our lives and the difficulties and pain, but we, what we have done is we've forgotten the first coming of Jesus and then apply that to his second coming. If he's come once to deal with your greatest and worst difficulty and enemy, your sin under the wrath of the holy God, if Jesus has dealt with that, then don't you think that he is trustworthy and good and kind enough to one day return and to put right all the mess of your world. You see, you can trust Jesus. It's not going to happen on your Amazon Prime timetable, but in his time, in his way, he's coming back, the Lord of justice, and he will come swiftly with justice. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are faithful. It says in your word in 1 Thessalonians 5 that the God, God who calls us is faithful, he will surely do this. He will surely do it. So, Father, I know that right now. Lord, through the temptation of Satan and our own just wonky hearts, so many of us feel just lost in cynicism. Some of us have just almost thrown in the towel to our Christian life because there's that area of our life that it feels like you're not doing anything. And we thought you would. And we're five years in. 
We're 15 years in now, Lord. Some of us are 23 years in to some difficulty and pain or some pain and difficulty that's been done to us. Where's the God of justice? And yet, we look at your word and through your word we see Jesus who is the Lord of justice who has come once and he will come again. Would you then, by your Holy Spirit, convince us of that? This is a miracle of your spirit. Help us walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we pray this for our joy to walk with you in joy and freedom again, Lord. Would you do this?